Okay. Welcome to Fast Cars, Fast Girls. Your car experience. Oh, I'm losing you. Oh no. Okay, now I'm back. All right, there we go. Okay. All right. So, yep. All right. Well, in case that didn't come through, welcome to Fast Cars, Fast Girls, your IndyCar experience with Abby Meyer. I'm your host. And this week we have Mike Knapp with us. We're going to talk about Texas. And uh, so, yeah, Mike, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to be here. And I'm uh, happy to talk about Texas because I am here. So um, I will be, uh, they were nice enough to credential me. So down here to watch the race and uh, meeting up with a with a friend, hoping to turn him into an IndyCar fan. So um, lots going on down here. Lots going on. And yeah, you said um, it's a friend of yours from high school that you reconnected with over Facebook about 10 years ago, who happens to be yeah. down there. So yeah. yeah, I say convert him to a, to an IndyCar fan. I I'm going to do my best. That's for sure. I support it. I support it. I'm always about bringing in. Of course, now, you know, he's a Texan because he he lives in um, Lubbock. So it might might be a little hard to, to, you know, uh, break past the whole football thing, you know, since that's pretty, uh, pretty obsessive here, as as everybody would know. So um, but I'll do my best. Well, I mean, the good news is we don't really overlap with football season, except for, you know, a very brief period of time. So, yeah. But it's always football season here, so. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about your accommodations. Um, Mike is staying at, of course, Fast Cars, Fast Girls' favorite hotel chain, the Motel 6. Mm-hmm. Great it's- location, but it's uh, set up a lot like dorm room chic. Um, you know, it's wood floor and a bed and a TV and... A bathroom, not uh, not much else than that. So, um, kind of does remind me of my dorm room in college. But it definitely has a dorm room feel. No, when you said that, I was like, it has a very dorm room feel. Um, they have been re, they've been renovating the Motel Sixes, and that's one of the renovated ones. So it is nice, mm-hmm. though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just down the street from the track, and compared to everything else, it was uh, really pretty inexpensive. And so that's uh, that's perfect for me. That's for sure. Excellent. Now, here's what I want to know, because three years ago, Molly and I were there and you were there as well. And I don't know if you had this experience three years ago, but it was so newly renovated that we had that brand new TV, but we didn't have anything plugged into it. So like there wasn't an antenna or a cable box or anything. So we laughed because we had the TV there, but we couldn't actually watch anything unless we like hooked it up to our laptops. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so I just want to know, does your TV actually work this year? Is it hooked up? Yes, it actually works. And, and I'm watching the uh, Chattanooga, Illinois game on mute. So um, and I, you know, I drove down here yesterday, so I missed the entire first day of the, of the tournament. So I'm trying to get caught back up today. Well, there were, Quite a few upsets. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a good upset here brewing too with um, with uh, um, Tennessee Chattanooga. There we go. There's a lot of Tennessee colleges like Middle Tennessee and all those. So yeah, Tennessee Chattanooga is uh, giving Illinois all it can handle. So which is always a good thing. As as an IU fan, there aren't too many 
um, teams that I'm happy to see, you know, win in the tournament. And and despite living most of my life in Illinois, I've never gotten into the Illini. So, and now I'm married to an IU grad and a family of IU grads, so I would never get into the Illini anyway. So yeah, no, uh, now it's I'm, now it's not allowed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> you would I'm be definitely a pariah. <laughs> you would be a, the pariah of the family. I would, although I, although my nephew did graduate from Purdue, and we still let him in the house. So, you know, I mean, we, we've kind of relaxed the standards a little bit. Yeah, I got a couple <laughs> cousins like that. I mean, and I did a semester at Purdue, so I feel like I can fully say that I use better because I did go to both. <laughs> well, luckily, my alma, ma- alma mater is uh, Northern Illinois, so you know, not a Big Ten school, so thankfully not any conflicts. There you go. No conflicts whatsoever. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> no conflicts at all. Oh, all right. Well, let's get into Texas. So I'm just going to cover the the quick facts about Texas, and then we'll uh, get into talking about some of the more exciting stuff. So okay. <clears throat> this is the Expel 375. And in case you wonder where 375 came from, it is almost how long it is. It is 372 miles or 248 laps. It's also about 600 kilometers. So in the past, the race has been usually called something, the something 600 or the something mm-hmm. 375. It just kind of depends on if we're doing, you know, metric or imperial. Yep. Um, I guess they just flip a coin every year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it is always a great race and it's, it's a 1.5 mile oval. Um, which technically counts as a super speedway. It's on the the bottom range of a of a super speedway. Um, and I would say, for the most part, usually has really great racing. Yes. We as of as of like before three years ago. Yes. <laughs> so we'll uh yeah we'll dive more into that as well um it is yeah. your regular oval where it's got four turns it's not a tricky triangle like pocono was um it does have some high banking so um it's 20 degrees in turns one and two and 24 degrees in turns three and four um there are mixed mixed reviews about how people feel about indycar on texas on the texas uh oval because they do get up into the 220s i mean it is some fast qualifying speeds some people mm-hmm. think that might be a little too fast for a track that size. I, however, I, I find it exhilarating. I do too, and and I didn't like it back in the pack racing days. Um, I like I like it now because uh, there's a possibility for good close racing, but it's not it's not pack racing lap after lap after lap, which I was never ever a fan of. That that just um, you know I love close close racing, but that kind of stuff. I mean, whether whatever racing series it is, I you know, pack racing, whether it's in Cup or whether it's in IndyCar or whatever, it's just dangerous and overblown, and I'm mm-hmm. glad IndyCar doesn't do that anymore. I am very glad. It's it, <laughs> it Watching races like that, it was like your stomach was constantly in your throat the entire time. Right. But not right. in a good way. Not in a, like, yeah. edge of my seat, because the racing's so good. It's one of those of almost panic of, like, Oh my God! Is somebody gonna get really fucked up in this race? Yeah, yeah, and and especially, you know, I hate to say it, and not all the fans can. I mean, a lot of them have 
have uh, you know met drivers and everything. But you know, I, I and I'm sure you have too. I mean, having conversations with these people or having them on a podcast or writing a story, or you kind of get in a, a little more invested in them. And I don't want to see anything bad happen to anybody. And when people go, oh, well, that's just you know, that's what racing is. No, that's not what racing is. It's it's just a you know, crashes or whatever is just a byproduct of it. But you don't need all that stuff to say, well, racing's dangerous because what they're going to do this weekend is, in fact, dangerous going, you know, 220 miles an hour around a, a mile and a half track that they're going getting around in 23, 24 seconds. I, that, that's dangerous. And but we don't need, uh, you know, an extra layer of, of danger to, to make it fun. I mean, uh, yeah. and we'll get to it if we can get multiple uh, lanes in the in the turns and let some of the you know these guys build some momentum and get some passes it'll make for a much different race but um, I'm glad that uh, you know the standard is there that that uh, you know everybody's thinking about the the safety and, and everything of, of the drivers who can you know put on a good race who can show um, you know kind of the dare, daredevil dangerous aspects of it without us having to worry about you know one of them getting you know, carted off. I mean, it could happen, but, you know, when you go back and you look at some of the awful wrecks that happened, um, you know, with Kenny Brack and uh, with um, um, da, 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 Davey Hamilton and, you know, things like that, it, it's just, it, it that can still happen, but thankfully uh, we've removed a lot of variables to that as well. Absolutely. So, you know, because with pack racing, you have to race that way. You know, it's yes. not it's not like I don't want to be a part of this. Well, if you don't want to be a part of it in the past, you just wouldn't race that weekend. But, you know, um, and and drivers I talked to in the, in the past said they didn't like racing that way either. But, yeah, I mean, you can't say I'm, I'm going to back out and I'm going to get out of this mess. You can't because, number one, there's nowhere to go. And, and yep. number two... Um, then you're going to get freight train. And exactly. So, well, and so I always, I know I, I, well, and I'll say like my example for what I hate about pack racing is like the big one at Daytona every year. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, you just know, like literally I, I typically like I'll, I'll watch bits and pieces of the Daytona 500. I don't, I don't watch it religiously. Um, but I always know that the morning after I can literally search big crash Daytona and it will come up with the most recent big crash from Daytona every single year. Yeah. Cause it, yeah. I mean, it just, it happens when you have pack racing, like one person gets squirrely and then it takes out half the field. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I've been, I've actually been to both the, uh, the Daytona 500 and the Coke zero, um, 400 or whatever it's being called, uh, called now. And, you know, it is kind of fun to watch, and I don't worry as much because, you know, the safety aspects of cup cars. But I, I do think that, um, you know, it just kind of adds a level of stupidness. And that's what leads to, first of all, um, big ones, which wreck a lot of cars and cost a lot of money, which, yeah, the big teams can absorb that. But, you know, you're talking to some of these little teams that are scrambling to find sponsorship or do whatever, and they wreck a car, and, yeah, that's that's difficult. And It is. You know, but, well, yeah, also, like, like Junkos, 
You know, it's like they're not mm-hmm. they're not rolling up to a racetrack with, you know, six right six extra tubs ready to go. <laughs> right. And and so and I, and I also do think it takes away from the race itself. I mean, you know, I'm an IndyCar fan, so a race is X number of miles or X number of laps and it ends. Yes. You know, I mean, there's a start and a finish and, um, you know, I, I and I've always argued that I don't think it happens enough that you have to, um, you know, make any accommodations, you know, to have green flag finishes. Sometimes you don't. It's just like going to, uh, you know, a Pacers game and one of the teams, you know, wins by. I mean, I or I went to see the, the Bucks play the Warriors a few weeks ago and up in Milwaukee, and it's like you would think on paper that that was a marquee game, which it was supposed to be, but then, you know, Milwaukee kicked the crap out of of them. They were up 38 at halftime, Mm -hmm. and that's what it was. It's, it's, you know, an athletic contest, and so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just, you know, I'm a purist in that sense where there's a beginning and an end, and it it just, you know, gets so ridiculous with, crashes and then we go green then it crashes again and then we throw the red and then we do three green white checkers and it's like does that actually produce a true winner or does it does it you know produce the win the the person who rolled his dice the right way i i would agree with you yeah i would agree with yeah so i'm glad i'm glad we don't do green white checkered i also think it would definitely mess up too many of our IndyCar teams because so many times they are like, I mean, uh, on just fumes as they cross the finish line almost. I always, I always enjoy when the race winner cannot make it back around the track again. Yeah. After they cross the finish line. Yeah, exactly. That's the way it should be. (laughs) Right. I'm like, you budgeted perfectly. You budgeted your fuel perfectly. Well done. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you look at uh, possibly one of the most thrilling, um, you know, in the last few years, of course, you could have, ton, you could pick almost any race of the last 10, 15 years as, as uh, thrilling. But, you know, when Rossi was trying to make it on fuel, and I remember we were sitting in the Southwest Vista, and he came by, and I, it didn't sound like his car was running. And right. it, was, it was just crazy. And it's like, okay, at that point, you have two miles to go. You know, are you going right. to are you going to make it all the way around? And that's thrilling in itself too. It was. I remember when we saw him coming. You know, because we sat in the paddock, and so we're you know on the front straightaway. Right. And so you know we watch him round turn four, and I'm like, all right, I know that he's going well over 100 miles an hour, but can we talk about how slow he's going right now? Like, <laughs> you know, it's just compared to the rest of the race. I'm like, uh. You know, we're watching him, and I'm like, that motherfucker ran out of gas. Yeah. Like, right. that car is just coasting. But he was, uh, you know, that was the thing. He had he had that such a lead that, you know, he could get to that point and just coast it in. But, uh, yeah, if he'd have had another half lap to go, that would that would not have happened. No, no, that, that definitely would not have happened. But, yeah, I love it. I love that we yep. have an car. Oh, yep. I do. I enjoy it a lot. So, well, um, just a quick info on qualifying, um, because Ovals, other than the Indianapolis 500, because it has all of its own rules, uh, because it's special, as it should be. Absolutely. (laughs) 
<laughs> but most ovals, uh, the other ovals, anyway, you have two laps. And so you do lap one, lap two, and the average speed of your two laps is what your qualifying speed is. And that's what places you in the order as to where you'll start the race. Uh, so for those of you that might only be any 500 fans that are expecting a four lap run, it is only a two lap run. So I will say, I, yeah, I think Indy is special and it, and it should, it should be four laps. And I don't think, I know they tried the four lap thing, you know, a while back and, and it's like, no, that's, that's, that's reserved for Indy, you know, for every other oval race, two laps gets it done, you know? So I, I mean, would, I, I, because like I've always argued about Indy, Indy should be freaking hard. Qualifying for the 500 should be the hardest thing you ever do. Even if even if there's only 33 cars and it's like, yeah, I just got to do four laps. You still got to do four laps at, at uh, you know, 220, 225 miles an hour. I mean, it's not a cakewalk. No. You know, but but especially when you look at the guys in the fast nine and and you just look at what it does to them physically while they're while they're in the car. I mean, we can get you see these guys in their chests are heaving, you know, you know while they're right. doing their qualifying run. It, it, it's like the, the stress and everything is just so ramped up, and that's the way it should be. But it should just be for the Indianapolis 500 for sure. I agree. I agree. I like, I like the two-lap. The only time that I feel that it's not quite enough is, like, when we do the, like, Iowa, how there's two races. Mm-hmm. two laps and lap one is your qualifying for the first race and lap two is your qualifying for the second race and so yeah. for that it feels like it's just not quite enough right right but, i could i could see a i could see a, a thing where you you know maybe do three and you take the two best ones or something like that <laughs> you know just just to add a little more uh a little more intrigue to it but uh but yeah yeah i i, I wish and I know it's a doubleheader again, but I, I do wish they would kind of sort that out because I don't think it um, is necessarily the most uh, efficient way to set a grid. It's it's kind of the same way, um, like in the like the junior series do, where they you know one race is by qualifying, then race two is by set by um, your best lap time in the in the race and all that kinds of stuff. But um, yeah, so I, I I think there should be a different solution to, to qualifying for both races i don't know what that solution is um because you can't do you can't do well we're gonna go through the line for race one and then we'll go through the line for race two because you'll probably get the same result anyway you know so it but yeah if there was something else they could do to to make that uh, a little more intriguing a little more exciting I'd, I'd be all for it yeah like i would support four laps for a double header and like maybe laps one and three you average, and then laps two and four you average. Right. Because the only way, yeah, the only way you're really going to have a difference in the way the grid's set up is if somebody has a bobble or something happens, you know. So you have to, I, I think, yeah, I think you have to earn it, make them earn it for both races. But, yeah, like you said before, I don't know how that gets done. Yeah. <laughs> Things for us to consider. Not that anybody's asking us, you know, for solutions on this, but we can continue to muse. <laughs> yes, for sure. For sure. I say that's what IndyCar fans do best, right, is is find solutions for things. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe they should all put us in a room for, you know, some of the things that are going on now. We probably get it all hashed out. 
I think so. I think so. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody would be satisfied with the results. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> We're known for that as motorsports fans, as being very easily satisfied. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, I did make a comment um, last week, I think, on Twitter, where you know, people were bitching about just different things. And I was like, well, God forbid we give IndyCar fans exactly what they asked for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we hate that. We, hate that. <laughs> we can't have nice things. This is why we can't have nice things. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I'll tell you what, one of the surprising facts about this race, um, well, not to me because I personally love this driver. Um, but it was when he was with Dale, was it Dale Coyne or Chip Ganassi, maybe. I think it was Chip Ganassi. But um, the qualifying record for one lap and two lap are both held by Charlie Kemble. Yeah. Which, yeah, that's very, that, that, that is very interesting. Um, you know, and of course, there's also, there's also, uh, you know, the, the cart record because, they measured the track differently. I mean, it, it's it's all sorts of weird things. But yeah, yeah. Charlie Kimball being being the the uh, lap record holder is definitely a good uh, trivia question that uh, might even be tougher to do than Wordle. Yeah, because although I have not done Wordle, I don't want to get down that rabbit hole. But I, I'm assuming that's that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> it is a rabbit hole. I do Wordle. Um, yeah. Yep. I, I got sucked in and I was like, all right, I'll do this. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that is a fun little trivia is yeah. Charlie Kimball fastest one lap and two laps. So yeah. Yeah. Both from uh, 2017, which that was a year that had um, quite the spectacular crash. Yeah. That yeah. took out like, felt like half the field. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Was, it, was that when it went, or no, what, that was the one where, like, TK turned right instead of left and then, like, hit Hinge, and they ended up – they literally took out, like, eight cars. Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, like, Because 16 was, was when they started the race and it rained, and then – Yes. And then okay. they finished it in, like, August or some shit. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then 17 was the year Molly and I had dubbed the Clusterfuck 600. <laughs> because of the, the wrecks and accidents it yeah. was the the weather tech 600 but yeah we called it the clusterfuck 600 well, sometimes uh, sometimes with indy car that does fit yep it, it definitely fit for that race um luckily <laughs> we haven't had that since then um our biggest issue is this pj1 that they put on the track for nascar because things mm -hmm. that are good for nascar um track wise are not good for indycar and, right. and vice versa, because they're very different cars. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we talked about this a little bit earlier about how IndyCar is adding some or giving the option to teams to add extra downforce. Mm -hmm. and, and go out. And um, so I think what they did is is after qualifying, there's a 30 minute session before the final qual or before final practice that I think they're going to give um, teams the, the chance to to go out there and. I, you know, it's going to be kind of interesting to see the setup of the cars because, you know, it, it's giving them more downforce than is legally allowed. So, yes. you know. And interestingly enough, um, they were 
allowed to use this same package of extra downforce last year at the 500. And mm-hmm. of the 33 teams, 32 of them used it. Mm-hmm. But do you know who didn't? Uh-uh. Your friend Alex Pillow. <laughs> he was the only car that didn't use the barge board and uh oh what's the other thing but yeah he was the only uh the only car that did not use the extra downforce allotted well you know as, as we were talking about uh uh you know before we we started recording um he's you know he's he's such a nice guy you know, and he's such a great guy to deal with, but he's such a such a different person um, when he gets that helmet on and puts that visor down and fearlessness mm-hmm. and a deep, deep well of fortitude, let's say, is uh, is part of his M.O. So it wouldn't surprise me that that he, uh, um, you know, went on his own with that one. Yeah, no, not surprised at all. Not surprised <laughs> at all. Um, I thought that was a fun fact. I read that earlier today, and I was like, good for Alex Pillow. Look at him. Yeah. And he finished second. So look yeah, at that. Exactly. I, you know, and I was I was actually at the track today, and I was um, inside, you know, near the media center in the garage, and um, it didn't, where they put the traction compound down, it doesn't look as dark as it has in the past. Um, well, that's Because I know they went out. They went out uh, sometime earlier this week, and they drove a lot of laps pulling a, a metal grate behind uh, behind a car or truck, probably a truck. But um, so it doesn't look as distinct. Um, the entries to the corners it does, but just once you get up to the to the banking and, and stuff in the middle of a corner, um, it doesn't look as dark. And I know some of the some of the listeners probably saw the video that Marshall Pruitt put out where he. Um, was actually on the track, and he said that that just you know doing the foot test um, that the that they were a little bit closer that the um, lower lane and the lane next to it they're a little bit closer than they were. But uh, you know I give the teams that are going out and and they're going to do that special practice um, I give them all the credit in the world because. You know, there's probably some data to be gleaned, which is a good thing for them. But, man, I mean, you know, when you look at over the last couple of years and what happens to the car when it gets, you know, onto that surface, um, I wouldn't want to run the risk of crashing one of my cars, you know, especially with uh, that being at, at, you know, 435 o'clock and then you're, you're racing at 1145 the next morning. Um, you know, that's a very short turnaround. And, and, and as we said, it's one thing to have downforce and it's another thing to have grip. So you can have all the downforce you want, but if you hit that, if you hit that compound and, uh, you know, you lose your grip on the car, then you're on skates. And we saw that happen, um, you know, to Rosenquist, we saw it happen a couple of times in, in the last couple of races. And, you know, it just sucks because what it does having that there just really um, ruins the race for IndyCar. And, and that's the difficult thing because Texas has been such a good partner for so long. And, and now it just seems that um, unless they can figure that out, I mean, is Texas and IndyCar at an impasse about this? Because obviously Texas has to do what's best for NASCAR because NASCAR pays the bills. 
you know, and, and yep. so that that is understandable. But at the, but at the same time, if you know your racing series can't get it done there, and and you know it's not like they're drawing big crowds or anything like that. And as much as we all love ovals, if they can't get it done, let's go, you know, back down the highway, down uh, 35 South, and go back to Dakota if that's the case. Because I, I think there's I think there's a good market in in Texas, and and it seemed like the the one race we held there um, in 19 was pretty well attended, and I think they could probably piggyback um, off the popularity of, of F1, and, and I mean, that race last year was massive. I mean, the crowds and everything, and, you know, I don't know how many people came from how far of a radius away, but I mean, if you can get, you know, people in Texas and you know, us crazies that come down and, and, you know, travel all over the country watching these races. I mean, you can get it done at Coda. It sucks losing an oval, but, you know, that that's also, I think, a, a very viable um, alternative as well. And you have to look at the fact that, um, you know, Eddie Gossage is gone, and he was such a advocate for IndyCar that if, you know, the new management can, you know, just make that decision that they don't want to have you know, any car here, then yeah, it's time to start looking at other options. Unfortunately. I, I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, cause you know, like you, I mean, like we've talked about, we, we have had some really great racing there, but you know, if, if they continue to use this compound because NASCAR is paying the bills and I understand that from a business perspective, right. but, but we're not going to continue to, to have an on-track product. That's crap either. Yeah. Yeah, because I and and that's been the complaint both, you know, in terms of um, attendance and in terms of what we read on social media and stuff like that. It's like Texas used to be a big deal. Texas used to be almost like, um, you know, if you wanted to set up, I guess, quote unquote, crown jewels or whatever in India. I mean, Texas, you know, winning there is still a big deal. I mean, you look at the and I and I was doing i put up a blog post today um 15 days in may.blogspot.com anybody wants to read it but i put one up and you know when you look at the people i was researching some stuff and when you look at the people who have won here i mean that's it's it's an incredible list of of drivers and some of the best um in indycar in the last 25 years so i mean there's such a history here and how many other tracks do, does IndyCar have a 25 year relationship with? Right. And, you know, it would really, from that standpoint, and because I like this track, of course, from that standpoint, it would really be sad for it to go away. But, um, I think IndyCar has to always consider doing what's best for IndyCar and figure something else out. Yeah, I would, I would be sad to see it go away. Cause I do enjoy racing in Texas mm-hmm. and, of course, I never want to see an oval go away, especially a bigger one, even though this is only 1.5 miles. Right. Because um, I'm not, and this will be my hot take for the episode, um, I don't love short ovals. Really? Yeah. Um, I, uh, you know what, I'll just go full hot take. I don't think <laughs> IndyCar has any business on a track that's smaller than a mile. Yeah. And see. and I will I will stand by that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine. We were at St. Petersburg, and it was funny because we both attended the same Iowa race a couple of years ago. 
but we had never talked about this aspect of it. And that feeling like we talked about earlier of, you know, your stomach's in your throat because you're just waiting for something terrible to happen. Um, that's how I felt the entire time at Iowa watching them race live. And I did, I did not have that sense on the TV, on the TV. It didn't feel as terrifying, but in person, I just kept thinking like, something bad is going to happen. I just felt like there was going to be a really bad crash and with a bad outcome. And it just, I don't know. I just, it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't, I don't like it. So that's my, that's my hot take is that I don't think they belong on track smaller than a mile. I think that we go too fast and that we should feature that and we should bring in more super speedways. So we see the fastest of the fast. Right. And, and I know safety, aspects aside um you know pocono would be a good would be a good racetrack to go back to um i'm on that i'm on board with that i would Um, love if we went back there because what i really enjoyed about pocono and i understand you know indycar has you know insurance issues and you know pocono is the last truly family-owned track and so they don't have money to just throw at things like the tracks that are owned by nascar etc you know they, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, or, you know, or the IMS now being owned by Penske. It's like, you know, RP's got more money than God. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like literally probably has more money than the Catholic Church. So it's like any <laughs> improvements that they need, you know, not a problem. Um, whereas that's not the case for Pocono because they're a smaller business. And right. so I understand any car's choice, but I just thought it was so cool when we went there because it was another two and a half mile oval. It was another true super speedway and we got to see those you know super fast speeds like we saw at indy yeah and and indy car has a history there going back 50 years they do they do you know and, um, and so it, it from that standpoint too i mean to connect uh you know at, at some point with the series and and with the people who are fans of the series you know, finding a way to connect the past with the future is a big deal um, until IndyCar can, you know, bring in, um, you know, the younger fans, which, you know, I have my, you know, I have my ideas and maybe we could talk on this on a, on a different episode. But, uh, you know, of course, they won't listen to me. But, <laughs> you know, if, if they could bring in, you know, younger fans, things might work a little bit differently. But the old guard loves Pocono and you know, I guess, at, you know, at my age, I'm closing in on the on that old guard because, you know, I first went to the Speedway in 1979. So, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so to, it, so whatever we can do to, to make that connection that makes some of the fans who feel like maybe they're getting pushed out a little bit, if we could, you know, connect with them and make them happy, then I think that just overall lifts the entire series up. It's not like, um, you know, does IndyCar need fans like us who get into all 17 races? Absolutely. But there's nothing wrong with having fans that are, that just like four or five races or, you yeah. know, that watch, that, that watch Indy and Pocono and, you know, Texas. Or, or just, and yeah. 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 I mean, you know, there are a lot of people that are, that are very much, uh, you know, old track fans. And, you know, I think, that's a, that's a big challenge for um, all racing, well, except for F1, because that's where I want to steal a lot of my ideas from. But, right. 
<laughs> you know, finding the getting those fans in and making you know as the the collective group as happy as possible is the um, the big thing. And like you were saying about IMS, um, Roger can you know write his own check. He has the ability to go out and raise uh, you know the money if he needs to. And I, I know they've only dipped into this a couple of times, but. You know, the state of Indiana, you know, what the Speedway means and the, you know, economic impact and everything like that. I don't think I don't think the state has a problem, you know, throwing some money in, too. So, I mean, you know, IMS, for as old as it is, you know, is so uh, technologically advanced and, and as far as like safety. That. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because they're able to. um make those investments and like you said with Pocono uh it's just that family and and when you go there it's I don't know what you want to call it but it, it's so I want to use the word quaint I don't know but but you it's, know it, you know it, what I'll, I'll use the word it's not quaint it's how I felt when I went to Texas um a couple of years ago it was my first time to Texas as a state and I felt yeah. the very I felt very similarly which was I was like this is charming yeah you like, know, it's and not if you quaint, because quaint, like, almost implies kind of, like, small, and it doesn't have a, it very much has a big feel, but it also has right. that, like, family business feel, and it's just charming, and it just, it felt very comfortable to be there. Yeah, and, you know, for people that have been to the track, I mean, it's, it is out in the middle of nowhere, and the closest towns only have a couple thousand people and everything, so, you know, when you pull up, it just kind of, it just kind of rises out of the ground, at it you does. you know but but yeah just a family-owned thing they've got that the, they've got that little white building that they've probably had there since they built the track and that's where you go to you know get your credentials or um i'm sure that's where the the offices are and, and stuff like that and you know yeah i mean that's the kind of track that that we really need to you know keep supporting and you know because as great as some tracks are in this country um, you know, like when you look at NASCAR, I mean, basically two ent- entities own all of the tracks on the circuit. And, yep. you know, so it, it's just, it would, it, it's good to have, you know, some sort of, you know, family owned thing like what Pocono has, because it's what, in the end, what racing is, is all about is just mm-hmm. families and you know, well, people... and that's how everybody starts in racing. Sorry to cut you off, but you know, it's like no, that's how you start. Is it's a family endeavor. You know, if one of your uh, kids is a racer, the whole family's going to race tracks every weekend. Yeah. And you know, and I feel like NHRA definitely, you definitely have that feel at their race tracks because it's so obvious that it's you know family endeavors um, from the you know littlest of kids all the way up to the professionals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but you know all of racing it, it starts out as a family endeavor and so it's cool when you go to a track like that because it's you know like you're almost paying homage to to how all racers started which was who supported them first their family yeah, yeah. I mean the, the the first track uh, I ever went to um, when I was little was uh, you know, Rockford Speedway in Rockford Illinois and I mean I still go there because it's it's less than an hour from my house, but, um, you know, that was, that was in the mid seventies when I went there and the track's been around for 
70 plus years and you know that's yeah that's how you get and and you just um at rockford near along the main straightaway they have um it's almost like uh Grauman's Chinese Theater and in, in, in the Walk of Fame in L.A. and that they have um, some cement with, you know, handprints and footprints and things. And you look at, um, you know, stock car people like, you know, Mark Martin raced there. Chad Canales got his start as, as a mechanic there. I mean, it just, you know, it, it just the history of racing is so important and you just can't you can't give up on that. You know, and and, I mean, you know, that's kind of the sad thing about like Milwaukee is that it predates IMS even. And and if you read some of the crazy stories about people like Ralph De Palma and stuff like that racing there and and it's just a shame that it it just sits there. But, you know, um, sometimes money and politics uh, do bad things. And in Milwaukee's case, uh, you know, they are. I wish I wish there was some sort of middle ground to that. But. Uh, you know, yeah, to, to keep to keep it in the family and to keep it like that is just, you know, it's just it's what racing's really about. It is. It really is. Um, yeah, it's it's very cool. Yeah. I well, mean, that, that was really the the thing about Indy for so long. And I think the Holman George family took it as far as they could go. Um, but, yeah, just for even like you go back in the old days and the one race there a year and how, you know, even still, Mr. Holman insisted the grounds were kept up and he insisted all sorts of things, you know, even though nobody was coming to the track and, and to have that, you know, family aspect to it. And, and you know, now, like I said, um, you know, it had to it, it reached the time where, you know, it needed um, a bigger person owning it and, and somebody with more capital and somebody with more influence. And uh, obviously that's what they have with, uh, with Mr. Penske, but yeah, as excited as I was to, when he, uh, you know, took over, I also kind of was a little bit sad too, to see that end of an era like that. It was, <clears throat> it was, but what I think is cool is that, you know, how he views it is he's just a steward of mm-hmm. the Right. So. Yeah, it's like the speed. The speedway is always going to be the speedway, and yeah. Well, I think I think he takes the same attitude that AJ Foyt does. You know, I didn't make Indy; Indy made me. And yep. you know, and as long as we have people who are, uh, you know, who have that attitude towards the facility, it's always going to be, you know, it's always going to be in good hands. I agree. I agree. All right, back to Texas. We've back to off. Texas. We've gone off on tangents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's just a day in my life. I know, right? That's like every second of every thought that I ever have. Is it spurs nineteen different rabbit holes? Uh, <laughs> yeah, like today I, I was going. Uh, I had to go uh, into the ticket office to to because uh, I just made it easy and, and bought a ticket for my friend. And I had a, a Cubs pullover on, and and uh, this guy, the you know whoever the greeter, whatever you want to call the guy, that that's uh, that's there. All of a sudden, you know, I'm thinking racing. I'm thinking, okay, what are my topics for the weekend, and you know, different things like that, and just being excited to be back at the track. And then all of a sudden, we got into a discussion about the 2016 World Series, and I was with him for like 20 minutes. Yeah, so, so yeah, that's that's just how things roll with me. 
I mean, no judgment here. No <laughs> judgment here. So, yeah, no, I, I get distracted by myself and shiny objects all the time. So <laughs> it happens. <Yep. laughs> all right. So we've kind of discussed, well, we've, we've hit the, the main point of Texas. So let's go into the hot take mode. So okay. who do you think is going to do well? Who do you think is going to not do well? Because we've got rookies. We've got a couple oval rookies. Um, we've got J.R. Hildebrand returning for A.J. Foyt. But he I'm is excited about race. that. I am so excited about that. I love J.R. Yeah. I absolutely love him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just, I would love for him. I mean, you can never um, fix what happened to him. 10 years ago, uh, 11 years ago. You can never fix what happened to him, but um, I'd like to see him win an IndyCar race. Just just the kind of, you know... I don't know if he'd ever is would be the type of team to win the Indy 500, but dang it, I'd like to see him win an IndyCar race just to say he did. I mean, I feel like he's owed an Indy 500. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that obviously was supposed to happen because it was supposed to be, you know, Weldon's year for sure. Right. But but yeah, he definitely he has unfinished business at, at the IMS and and I would love to see him win a race one of these years. Yeah, so let let's have him in as as somebody um because the one thing I like about Foy is that you know, he he's a very good test driver. Obviously, um he's incredibly intelligent. And, yes. um, you know, he has an engineering mind, so he's a great test driver and to have, uh, you know, to really have a solid teammate, um, in, uh, in Kyle Kirkwood, who, um, you know, we talked earlier about next, you know, who's, who's going to be next and that might change from week to week. But I mean, I've, I've watched Kirkwood race since he was 16 and he's just so, so, so good. You know, yes. it, would, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, I expect a very clean race from from Kirkwood tomorrow. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him, you know, in the eight to ten range, maybe. But I think the information that um, Jr. got on the, you know, when he did the test here and um, Kirkwood's experience, and especially he's got, a, a, you know, you have to watch him to really understand it but he's got a real he's got just a real feel for race cars and i and i think that um that he just has that feel where he can you know i don't know if he's completely up to speed from a setup and engineering standpoint but i think um he knows how to go fast and as long as he doesn't get caught up into a situation um you know where he doesn't want to be uh, I think he'll have a good he'll have a good run, and I really hope that, that Hildebrand has a good run. Um, I do course, too, looking, and I always want to see AJ Foyt Racing do well. Period. Um, yes. But especially in Texas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Houston really isn't that far from here, so it's not. And, I, and, I, and I think they consider this one of their um, one of their home tracks, and and you know, I mean. Um, AJ Foyd, you know, kicked Ari Leindijk's ass because he didn't win, you know, 20 years ago or however long ago that was. So, you know, you know, AJ, you know, the entire organization would like to get it done here. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. 
Yeah, I think Kirkwood is definitely going to be one to watch um, as far as the rookies go. Um, Yeah. Go ahead. I think a lot of the the rest of them, I think their goal should be um, just to stay clean and finish the race. Um, even if you're even if you're five laps down, even if you're ten laps down, just keep it clean. Do your live pit stops, which you know pit stops are always critical. But on a one and a half mile oval, um, you're losing a lot when you pit. And so mm-hmm. um, if you make a mistake, you know there's so much at this race. There's so much pressure on the pit crews and as so much room for error. So much room for error, though. Yeah. You know, like, you can, I mean, Rossi, the year that he won, had a fucked up pit stop at the 500. Yeah. But he he still was able to win because it's a big enough circuit that, you know, it's like you can mess up one thing and still be okay. But, yeah, a mile and a half really does not give that same kind of grace. Yeah, because in that instance, he didn't lose a lap. You know, he just ended up way at the way back at the end of the at sure. the end of the line. But yeah, you have some sort of screw up like that. All of a sudden, you're like three laps down. Yeah. Um, you know, because that's another thing when you talk about like the speed of it and stuff. Like when you come here, um, you know, TV never does justice to racing. You know, just because you can't get that real feel of speed. Um, no, you know, no matter how much they try and use camera angles and everything like that, I mean, you can't really, you know, put that well on TV. The only, I, the only one was, that comes close is the, the nose cone camera. Yeah. yeah. That, that is about as close as you can get to how it feels in person. Yeah, but, but what surprised me when I was here three years ago was just, um, man, I mean, it's it's it looks faster than you would imagine it to be. You know, it just looks so insane, you know, because realistically, uh, race pace are what, 10 miles off of what they are at IMS? I mean, it's not to the naked eye and to people who aren't, you know, who don't do this for a living or anything like that, it's not noticeable. You know, 212, 214, 215 to 225. I mean, you know, and so to put it in a, smaller venue like this you know it almost be like watching um an, an nba game in a grade school gym you know right. just how how fast it would be and and just you know if you look up like if you're watching on the video boards and then on the back stretch and then all of a sudden you can look down on the front stretch and they're there you know so so yeah i mean it's just um get these guys get a lot of these rookies because you know the next time they they are on an oval is at Indianapolis. So I just want to see, um, you know, the drivers who are doing this for the first time or, you know, in the case of, you know, Grosjean doing it for the second time, um, just clean races out of everybody. That's, that's what I'm hoping um, for them. But, you know, you mentioned Rossi and he's somebody that he's got to do something tomorrow or he's got to do something Sunday. I mean, um, he does. I I feel like he has been plagued by misfortune. Yes. Because yes. his record does not reflect what kind of a driver he is. Yeah. Right. And and that's um uh, yeah. Some of it's bad luck. Some of it is um you know 
qualifying, especially on road courses and stuff, and even on ovals, it's important. I mean, you gotta get you gotta get out of the back. You know, um, yep. you've got to at least, you know, on a road course, you've got to at least get to the first, get through the first round. Yes. You know, if you don't, if you don't make it into that into that second twelve, you're gonna have a really really tough day. Yes. And and you're kind of exposed to you know some sort of weird incident going on back there and. You know, like what we saw at uh, at Texas last year. You know, yep. there was just weirdness that went on in the in the back of the field. Took <laughs> out five or six cars before we even got started. Yeah. So, you know, but but that's the, that's the thing. Rossi's not even making it into that into that top twelve, and so um, I don't know the reason for that. But either, yeah, but that's, that's really does not Rossi. reflect who he is as a driver. Exactly. Exactly. Because. When you see him, when he's hooked up, you know, like you go back a couple of years and go back to, you know, um, when he won at uh, Road America or when he won at um, Long Beach and stuff like that. I mean, you know, he was just and, – and even when things go well for him at Indy, I mean, he's he's one of the best talented – in terms of talent, he's pure talent. He's one of the, the best drivers in the paddock, but – um, you know, the hard part is uh, to, to take a phrase from Rashid Wallace, ball don't lie. And, you know, in the last 17 races, he's had six finishes of 20th or worse. Yeah. And, you know, you get you get one mulligan. You know, you look at his 20th. Finish, <laughs> right. Eat, um, give him that mulligan and, you know, everything. But he's having too many of them. And that's. Well, and he's that's, had mechanical gremlins. He's had repeated issues with hits and that is something that you know molly and i have talked about um on air and off and it's like what the fuck is going on like it's andretti autosport yeah yeah it, it it's just it's just crazy how you know you look at um colton herda now is what he was in 16 17 18 agree and and but it but yeah it's just weird to see on a team one driver is you know if you want to you almost use the word dominant because Herta is kind of in that uh, category especially when he's leading a race he's definitely dominant when Certainly. he leads races and um, but just to see him and then the the sort of drop off in results to everybody else yeah. that's also what's baffling to me too. Yeah, it's quite the dichotomy. Yeah. Yeah, and, it's, and, it's very, very unexpected. You know, you don't expect a race team to have that much variation within the mm-hmm. results. Mm-hmm. And especially one that, that uh, supposedly shares data with everybody. Right, you that's know, one of the, on quote, the big three. Yeah, yeah, and they and they all share the same information. They're all sitting in the same meetings and debriefs and all that other kind of stuff. So why isn't what's working for Herta, you know, working for everybody else? Unless Herta's just that much better than everybody. And I guess you know if if we may end up finding uh, that out uh, in IndyCar, maybe even beyond. Uh, in the next couple of years with, you know, his news this week. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, but yeah, is it hurt? Is that, is it, he's just that much better than anybody else? Or uh, is there something that goes on with him that, that isn't going on or getting applied to uh, everybody else? 
Well, yeah, I think there, I will say unofficially, I think there have been some conversations on that team as to why, as to why that has been happening. Because mm-hmm. um, I do think the Herda is insanely talented, but I don't think that explains all of it. I think that for whatever reason, there's some sloppiness happening. Yeah. Herta's the most talented driver on the team, but I mean, Rossi is, you know, Herta's very one, close second. 1A and Rossi is 1B. Their talents are very, very close. Mm-hmm. And, um, but the results aren't close. You know, Rossi, no. Rossi, you know, had one podium last year and, you know, at Portland, I think it was. And he, you know, he had several the year before, but, you know, he, had, I think I counted five or six podiums in um, 2020 and he still finished, what, ninth in points because he had so many other bad finishes to cancel it out. Right. And that's the thing is it's, it's like all or nothing. Right. So. Right. So hopefully he's, uh, you know, he does, he, he practices well. I mean, everything seems to be going well in practice and then some weird crap happens to him. And, and so, um, you know, is, is part of it race strategy? I, you know, I don't know. Cause I don't, he's not with his usual strategist now. Right. Um, Rob Edwards is with somebody else. Right. You know what? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. So they, they did mix that up for this year. So Yeah, and they had they, those two had a great thing going. And you know, I kind of think it's uh it's paralysis by analysis going with that and saying, Oh, we gotta make a switch because he didn't do well. And no, I think it I think you just need to keep that group together and let them ride it out. Right? Yeah. I, I agree with you. I would but, love to yeah. see him do well this weekend. Yeah. Because Andretti is one of those teams that I can't figure out that it's just always, um, you know, they're always shuffling the deck. And I don't know if that's always going to be uh, a positive, you know, for every member of that team. You know, I, I mean, I just don't so, think there's any way that it can be. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've, I think you've just got to set, you know, and, and you look at and that's the thing you look at Herta has that consistency. You know, his dad calls his races. And, of course, nobody's ever going to take his dad off the pit box. Right. So, so, you know, keeping that constant has proven to be very, very good and very successful, especially because, you know, um, the connection between Brian and Colton. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, they're partners in this in a, in a sense, not, you know, because they're you know, dad and son, but, but I think they, they just click together because they have the same kind of thought process and mindsets. And I I just wonder if you took, if you took Brian off of Colton's um, pit box and put somebody else up there, you know, I don't know if Colton would be as good as he is, you know? And so I think it would, it would definitely affect his race. And well, and I'll say, you know, listening to his radio, is the best gift that, <laughs> that IndyCar has given us. Yeah. Uh, because Colton Herta, I mean, he was a senior in high school the first time I interviewed him. Yeah. And so to hear him have a mouth like mine, just really, it's it's the best. <laughs> it's it's the best. 
And I don't remember what race it was, but it was a great interaction between him and his dad. And his dad, he was qualifying and his dad kept trying to give him pointers. And he finally goes, will you just shut up and let me fucking qualify? Yeah. And so he, you know, his dad was like, Roger that. And it was like radio silence. And then he ended up P1. And yeah. so as soon as he was P1, his dad goes, well, I guess next time I'll just shut up and let you fucking qualify. <laughs> yeah. And, and, that, and that's what I think is, is just, um, you know, just knowing that it's like, okay, he might be. And, and when you can look at your driver and say, you know, he might be right and just let it go. Mm-hmm. is sometimes one of the best things you can do. You know, yes. and I think I think sometimes it'll be people get, you know, and plus um you know, when it's said, then it's over and done with between the two of them. Exactly. You know? Well, and, 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 and a lot and, of that is because they're father son. You yes. know, it's like this is not the first, you know, high emotion interaction that they've had. Right. And right. they're both race car drivers. It's just, yeah, I feel like that's a that's a gel that you can't mess with and expect the same results. Right, right. I wonder. I wonder if Brian will go to F one with him. <laughs> I I would be excited for Colton, but I will be. I would be very sad to lose him from IndyCar because I yeah. just love that kid. Yeah, absolutely. Although although they need some more interesting people on Drive to Survive, and he would be one of them. Oh, he'd be exceptionally interesting. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, his radio alone, I could make an entire reality show just out of Colton Hurd's radio. It is literally, it's, he's always one of my top favorites on my, on my radio. Yeah. Oh, it's just, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you who else was great on the radio that you might not expect because he's Canadian. And that uh, was Robert Wickens. That yeah. is one of the things I miss the most about him not driving is his radio. <laughs> I remember yeah. his first Indy 500 lap one between turns two and three on that back straightaway. They went like four wide and yeah. Wiccans backed out and over the radio. He was like, are they fucking serious right now? Fuck <laughs> sakes. Yes, they are. This is that, That's how it rolls. Right? I was like, <laughs> welcome to Indy, trial by fire. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, nothing better than good good driver yeah. interactions. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so into that, um, I think I think her to, you know, um, you have to think that he's, he's I look at, you know, the, among the younger guys, her to award uh, Polo, you know, those guys are going to be a front. Dixon wins there a lot. Um, mm-hmm. He's going to be uh, at the front. Um, but also, you know, yeah, you look at the rookies. I think um, Kirkwood could would would probably more than likely be the highest finisher um, if he finishes the race. Um, I'm a little worried about some of those other guys, and mm-hmm. uh, just just because you know, and that's what's hard with. And I and I get the reasoning behind not having the Freedom 100 anymore. It's not to say I don't like it. No, oh, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that that's a staple of Carb Day. But um, you know, it doesn't. You know, the great. I mean, the ladder system is awesome, but giving these guys oval experience is not. Uh, it's not the the you know intention. 
I think. And, and it is. It's a hard thing to tiptoe because, uh, you know, you wreck a car and you're done, you know, or, or you know, and that, that's the thing when you look at a guy like Kirkwood, um, you know, you look at some of these kids, they have to keep winning to keep racing. You know, and Kirkwood was one of those guys. And, and I mean, I saw a couple of guys when I was working with John Comiskey in the USF 2000 series that um, were good, talented drivers. And, you know, Anthony Martin is one that I think about. He had to keep winning, and he didn't. And now he's, you know, back home, and um, I don't even know if how much racing he even does. And so, you know, with, with Kirkwood, that was, that was the case, too, is he had to keep winning in order to keep getting those scholarships and, and working his way up. But, um, you know, it also doesn't give these guys uh, a lot of experience on ovals. And that's really, I think, the hardest transition for those guys between, um, you know, Indy Lights and, and Indy Cars, just that experience on, on ovals. And, yeah. you know, thankfully, it hasn't really, you know, reared its head. Um, in the past, but yeah, you just don't want a, a rookie making a dumb mistake and taking out six other cars, you know, uh, on, a, on an oval race. And, and so, um, you know, hopefully uh, everyone keeps that in mind. Um, if you want to take somebody uh, off the big three and that I think could do well tomorrow is Sato because Ooh. that's what he does. And, and, you know, so long as he's not hitting anybody, his um, <laughs> no, his no attack no chance is very effective when he's not crashing into people. So sixty percent of the time it works every time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, but but the thing is, when, you, when we look back on his career, um, two time indie winner and came pretty damn close to winning a third. Yeah, uh, you know, you you got to really look at thinking. You know, there was method to his madness. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, Grammarie Hall always, always races well there. Um, he does. Know, so my... Uh, there, so He has uh, one there. I think Jack Harvey is going to be a force to be reckoned with for this race. Because yeah. he's on Rahel Letterman-Lanigan now. Graham has won there before. And Jack yeah. really has been hitting his stride these last couple seasons. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I I think that he is going to be kind of a surprise veteran that comes out and gives people more trouble than they than they expected. Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know the other person I'm really interested in seeing um, is Elio. And you know obviously we discovered last year at Indy that he still has his fastball. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know with a team with that team and um, coming to Texas, which, you know, he hasn't raced here in, in a couple of years or anything. That'll be uh, really interesting to see if, uh, you know, this magic that he's capturing very late in his career uh, transfers outside of Indy, um, you know, which uh, you think it would, but you never know until you say, you know, he didn't really race that well, you know, for a guy who's won how many road races. He wasn't all that great at St. Pete. So, yep. um, you know, he'll be he'll be interesting to to watch to see, you know, like I said, if he if uh, if he's still got it, <laughs> you know, outside of outside of India. And, 
you know, because I really think that that Elio, um, you know, if the era stays the same, and I'm going off on a tangent, but if the era stays the same that we're in now, that so many people have an opportunity to win the Indy 500, I think um, I think he might be the last of the four-time winners. Um, you know, and and that's just uh, that's crazy to think. Um, but I, I just don't, you know, you look at the only active driver with more than one is Sato. Um, you know, a couple of the guys have other interests that may want to take them somewhere for the prime of their careers. And, and, you know, so many more people are in the mix with a chance to win. Uh, I think he might be the, the last one. Um, just like in baseball, we're probably never going to see a 300 game winner again. It's just the way, the way the sport is. And so, um, I think with that, it'll be interesting to see now that he's um, full time. I mean, you know, when you can when you're so good at Indy and you can just tunnel vision yourself into that one day, um, you know, that that's a lot different than having to run a full season and worry about testing other places and doing things like that. So um, I'm curious to see what both both uh, Elio and um, Simon do. I mean, Mm. Um, Simon comes in with a, a lot to prove. Um, it's really weird because I remember talking to him at Toronto and, and I said, what did I say to him? Like, you know, you're kind of surprising people or something like that. Because um, really people were kind of surprised that he was the points leader at the time. And, and he looks at me and he goes, he goes, why would they think that? I'm the Indy 500 champion. And I'm like... <laughs> Yeah, you're right, which we've got to let more people know because I wasn't the only one, you know, I wasn't in an echo chamber with that thought. Right. You know? and, and so I, I, I think that he, um, you know, yeah, he's got a lot to prove, too. So uh, I, I just think if they can, you know, get more of the race, give the drivers more of a race track to work with, I, I can only imagine what's going to happen on Sunday um, and especially as it's going to and how they deal with setups and stuff, because, I mean, it's going to be 80 degrees. Um, it might be a little bit windy. So it's a different circumstance than, um, than what any been... other time they've raced there. Yeah. Normally later in the summer and it's hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when I was there in 19, you know, it was what, almost 100 degrees. Oh, and, easily. Yeah. You know, it, and and it helps even if it's that hot. It helps once it gets dark because it you know takes some temperature off the racing surface. But I mean, it's going to be you know hot here tomorrow. It's going to be hot here Sunday, and so it'll just be uh, be interesting. You would think that that would favor uh, the more experienced drivers, uh, you know, because you're going to have to worry about uh, worry about a little bit more about setup and and working with a track that a lot of these guys haven't seen before yeah i do um i will miss having the race at night i do i do want to say that but but yeah it's definitely going to be a very different track because of the temperature difference Mm -hmm. um so so yeah i think it'll be interesting um yeah who else do you think is going to be a force to be reckoned with um you know, I, and, and this is what I put in my blog post. Uh, some of the guys that were um, finished, like, midfield and back, um, you know, uh, Newgarden, obviously, 
is is somebody who I think is going to he needs to bounce back. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I talked earlier um, about Mulligans, and you know, just like uh, just like a barber uh, last year, two years ago, last year, you know, um, kind of overcame that wreck, but that was his that you know that first lap wreck, and there was his Mulligan, you know, and and so you can have one in this series, you can't really have. Or maybe one and a half, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I'll call that half finishing like 15th, 16th instead of 28th. Um, sure. You know, you can you can survive that. But if you want to try, if you are really interested in winning a championship, um, finishing 16th the first week. If you have a finish like that in the next race, all of a sudden, um, you know, let's say let's say McLaughlin wins again. You know, I mean, he raced well here last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he let's did. say he wins, and all of a sudden, you know, a guy like Newgarden finishes down in the order, and all of a sudden, you might be close to 75, 100 points behind, two races in. Easily. You know, that that leaves you with a massive amount of work to do. So I, I'm sure he's going to be he's going to be very intent on um, whatever you know. Uh, Issues he had a few weeks ago, I think he, he's definitely he needs it just as much as uh, you know some of those other guys do too. I agree, I agree. Um, in case you heard any of the background noise, the dog got the zoomies while you were talking. You got the what? The zoomies. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, you know how that goes. Yes. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, so well, okay. we love dogs. We do. We do. I- I never thought I would have said that three years ago, but then I got a dog and wonder what I was doing before I got a dog. <laughs> right? I know. People are always like, are you more of a cat person or a dog person? I'm like, I'm a both person. Yeah, me too. I'm like, I can't pick. I, I, I'm like, it's like 55%, 45%. Like, yeah. Yeah. 51, 49 most days. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a both person. So, all right. Well. We'd be remiss if we did not discuss Jimmy Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'll be, you know, he's coming to a track where he's won seven times. Um, Victory Circle is named after him. Um, you know, he's got that he's got that uh, pedigree at Texas in one kind of car. I guess we'll have to wait and see, um, you know, if, if he can transfer that to uh, another car. You know, I mean, he tested here, what, last fall. Um, they couldn't test a couple weeks ago, which you probably needed. Um, I, I think it, it's like the other first-time drivers. I know he's thinking big. I, I read some articles today that he wants to qualify up front, which I think he can. Um, you know, uh, being out on the track by himself and being comfortable on this track, and you know, knowing how to go fast here, that can transfer. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he qualified really well. Um, just then again, I mean, an oval is such a different animal in terms of arrow and how it works and how the car feels and, you know, the air getting on, you know, on your wings. You lose your air if you get too close to the car in front of you. I mean, you know, there are a lot of variables that, uh, um, you know, I think he's going to have to overcome if he wants to get the the top 10 finish that he's hoping for. Although I am glad to see that he's dipping his toe in because 
you know, I don't know how well he'll do at Indy, but I, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see him, uh, you know, how he does on the ovals because, as he mentioned last year, the ovals are what gives him the best chances to have success. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really glad that he added them because, um, you know, has his story been a little overblown by for a guy who finishes 20th every week? Yeah. Um, yeah, a little, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard because, you know, he's a legend and he's doing he's doing this just for himself. And I'm totally convinced of that. But, uh, you know, he's a competitor. You don't win 83 cup races and seven titles without being, you know, one of the like one percent of the most competitive people in this world. So uh, so, you know, he wants to go out and he wants to do well. Um, I hope that doesn't just lead him into perhaps overdriving the car or, or you know, making some sort of uh, mistake or something like that. I mean, I, I think his goal should be uh, a clean race and not looking too far past that, you know, oh, man, I've got to do well here. I mean, you know, yeah, you, the same thing as some of the other drivers. You finish on the lead lap, you finish around 10th or even a little better. You know, that's a good run, and you bring the car back in one piece, which is another good thing. Um, and then you go to, to Indy, and, you know, he can drive 2,000 miles in practice to get himself accommodated to run the 500. He can't do that here. So I think I think it's hard to tell a 47-year-old man, yeah, you should really just be focusing on getting experience here. But, um, but yeah, that, that to me should be his, his main focus. Um, because I think he is getting into ovals because he wants to win the Indy 500. I, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that. I feel like that's why he came to IndyCar in the first place, because, you know, you look at everything he's won, you put an Indy 500 on the top of that, and all of a sudden, you know, I mean, a lot of people try and take away uh, what he accomplished in Cup, just because they say, well, the point system is different, this, this, this. Everybody was operating under the same point system, and he was the one that beat everybody. So, you know, he's accomplished all this stuff. Uh, you know, he's done well in uh, in uh, the Rolex 24. He's done well in some different cars. And, you know, I think he really wants to win the Indy 500 because that puts him then in a level with some of the you know, not just one series greats of all time, but, you know, one of just racing's greats, you Certainly. know, and so, I, and, and I think that's, that's what's driving him. I, I would agree. And, you know, and he's had like the different um, advertising campaigns of like, you know, he's racing against himself and, you know, this and that. And, and honestly, I mean, like he knows that he's not doing that well in IndyCar. Um, right. so, but you know, he's in his retirement and he's doing what he wants to do. Um, yeah. that's kind of like how I feel about Ed Carpenter. Like he owns the team and he's going to continue to run the 500 probably till the day he dies. And, uh, yeah. he can do that. Um, yeah. So he's, but yeah, he's it'll, somebody I'll be, I'll be curious to see this weekend. Yeah. I will be curious to see if, if his skills from cup do transfer at all on an oval, um, just cause he has struggled so much with the road courses and street courses. So, mm-hmm. which I know IndyCar is an entirely different beast altogether. Uh, yeah. So, but yeah, it'll be interesting. 
Um, but I was also anybody... referring to, I, I was kind of referring to Ed as well. Yeah. Um, oh, Ed as well. Yeah. Yeah, because outside of, you know, Indies, he's not really been up to par on, on a lot of other ovals. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know, they've got three shots at it this weekend. So, um, you know, and, and they're they're an oval team. No matter what anybody tries to say, you know, at them. And, yes. and sometimes they'll get drivers who will win on road courses and stuff. But at the end of the day, ECR is an oval team. They and are. So, and so that's, you know, what their focus is on. So, you know, I'm sure that uh, Ed likes the fact that they're, they've got a, an extra car on the grid this weekend to, to take, a, take a shot at bringing a win home. Oh, I'm sure he does. And it, it would be kind of cool if it were him. <laughs> it would be. It would be very cool. Uh, I mean, I always enjoy seeing Ed do well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you just, you can't even root against the guy. No, no. And just, you know, he's just, he's another one of those guys that, um, you know, is good for IndyCar. I mean, he's been, you know, as a driver, he's been doing it for a long time. And he, and now he's got, you know, he has that team and he's run that well for, for, uh, for a long time. So they're kind of part of the history of IndyCar now, you know, so to see them uh, get a couple of, you know, flagship wins um, would be cool. Although I think, although I think if Ed were to win the Indy 500, he would just, you know, he'd give everybody a wave and say, you know what, I'm done. (laughs) You know what? I kind of tend to agree with you. I think that once he does it, he'll be like, all right, well, we've done that now. Yeah. Throw down some, throw down some Sam Hanks action and just say, I'm retiring. (laughs) Right, like I'm good. Yeah. It's all good now. Yeah, that's. I mean, how how else would you want to go out? You know, I mean, that's the best way to go out. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. All right, so off the top of your head, who do you think is going to win this weekend? Who do I think is going to win? Um, I think it's going to be Alex Pillow. Okay, who do you think is going to be the first out? Um. It's a it's it's a big pool of rookies. One of the one of those guys will go out will go out early. Yeah. Whether it, whether it be through an incident or whether it be through the quote unquote handling issues. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. A a rookie sacrifice is almost always made at this track. So yeah. Yes. Yes, for sure. But yeah, I think I think you know just. Uh, with the exception of Kirkwood, just because I, I think that um, he's in, in amongst rookies, you know, he, he's not going to I don't think because of his team, he's he's not going to win rookie of the year. But I, I do think that, you know, he is the he is the best of the rookie class. So, you know, take him out of that first out conversation and, you know, give it to somebody who's driving on an oval for the first time. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. So. Fair enough. Yeah, I uh, I would love to see her to win there. Um, I mean, there was a there's but obviously I, I would love to see I love to see Simon win anywhere, and I would love yeah. to see that for Meyer Shank Racing. Um, and I am partial to that team because we share a name. Absolutely. Uh, right. Uh, <laughs> I actually uh, was wearing my my Meyer Shank Racing sweatshirt to the vet 
last week and my vet is an IndyCar fan and he was like, Oh, I love that team. And I was like, me too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was, and actually my vet's going to come to mid Ohio. So I was like, well, come find the flamingo. Uh, uh-huh. I was like, and come and hang out with Mike Shank and drink a beer with him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, I mean, it's like just for fun. Um, you know, I, I bought last year, I bought like 15 shares of Atlanta Braves stock because they're publicly traded. Oh and yeah. I, and I can, and I can say that I made, you know, uh, you know, 0. 0.000 to the 12th power 1% uh, an owner of the team, but that's how you should, you know, go up to, uh, go up to Mike Shank and say, Hey, you know, what can I do to get my name on here? I mean, just say, Hey, if I give you a hundred bucks. Am I part of Meyer Shane? Am I the Meyer and Meyer Shane? Right. Would, you know, I would work something out with him. Well, I've made jokes many times. Um, I always tell him that I'm going to come and crash the hospitality suite um, <laughs> because my last name is Meyer. And funny enough, so, you know, the Meyer and Meyer Shank is Jim Meyer. And yeah. my dad's name was actually James Meyer as well. Um, he didn't go by Jim, but. Uh, but yeah, it made me laugh. And so that's always the running joke is that I'm like, one of these, one of these races, you're going to stroll in the hospitality suite and you're just going to see me there getting drunk. Cause I'm going to talk my way in and say I'm family. And you know, he always laughs and he's like, just come in, you know, you're welcome. (laughs) Well, yes. You don't have to sneak in. Maybe do the, maybe do the, uh, you know, ancestry.com thing and see if he's in your tree. Then, then you, then you could definitely make it official. Right. <laughs> I should. Uh, or just make a fake one. I mean, I'll just, you know. Yeah. Just uh, we go, look, dude. Right. <laughs> that would be cool. So, yeah, I would love to see Meyer Shank Racing do well this weekend. Um, I would love to see Jack Harvey do well. I think I think that Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan will do well just as mm. a team in general. Um, and, yeah, I'm interested to see how Kirkwood does. And then as far as who I think might be the rookie sacrifice, um, I think it might be D. Francesco. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just, that's just. That I just kind of get that vibe. I feel like it's going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. Just because of the, the whole thing and, and you know, the circumstances that, that worked around it to put him in that car. I won't say bad things, but, um, you know, I just think that the guy driving the 14 should be the guy driving the 29 but that's just yeah it is um it is an interesting interesting turn of events there i'll say that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then again i think that uh you know a year a year or even two years with with floyd and all of a sudden kirkwood will be driving uh one of those cars one of those good one of those good numbered cars like 12 (laughs) or you know, no, I think I think Will's going to keep racing for a long time, but you know. Oh, I think so too. Yeah. What else is he going to do? He's like us, you know. He's got ADD. He can't sit around his house and and you know watch TV or do whatever. I mean, at least I right. Think but uh, you know, he's got to keep himself busy, and I don't think he plays golf. I don't. I don't know what his hobbies are. I think his hobby is he's a race car driver. Well, so, he uh, he plays the drums. Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And, and you know, and, and as much as, uh, you know, as much as everybody, you know, loves his wife, I'm sure she's like, honey, I love you, but you need to get out of the house. Right. Like, yeah. if he stayed home, she'd be like, you are driving me insane. I love you, <laughs> but you have to go. 
Exactly. I mean, she she's got to be, you know, Liz has got to be one of the sweetest people I've met, you know. In oh, Indy she's Park. a doll. Yeah, she just that. That's what I say to people. It's kind of, you know, unfortunate because it's like all the other. Whenever they show her on TV, all she's they show her doing is chewing on a bottle and pacing around and stuff like that. And it's like, oh my gosh, she should have been here thirty minutes ago when she was, you know, laughing and telling jokes and. And, right, you know, talking to everybody and making everybody feel like they're family and right, right. You know, instead they just show her the last twenty laps and people with her, like, yeah, the most stressful time. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, people. I mean, because I look at this like from from a fan and when I'm, I have a driver I'm rooting for, you know, who has a chance to win, I get really nervous for them. I can't imagine what you do when you're family, when you're a spouse or when you were, I can't imagine, you know, when it gets down to, to crunch time, I, I can't imagine what your stomach's doing or <laughs> anything. I mean, I know what mine's doing and, you know, they, they've got to be, you know, a hundred levels higher. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, so, I know, you know, Beth Bowles, Connor Daly's mom is, I mean, she is just a wreck the entire race. Yeah. She's so, you know, so nervous, and she and I have, you know, watched parts of races together, and yeah, it's just, it's a different level when you're, when you're actually family, mm-hmm. um, but you know, like you said earlier, it's, it's so easy to like the guys and gals in our paddock, right. um, it just, and so, you know, that's why you never really want to see a big spectacular crash, it's, you know, I mean, not that, you know, you want to see that, but, you know, right. it's like you, you start to feel like you're part of their family just because they're so accessible and so easy to get to and just so friendly and open. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's pretty. And that's the cool. That's why, you know, when everybody says, oh, you know, I want IndyCar to be big again. And I do, too. But it's like I kind of like it the way it is. And just right. It's like you know, I want to get big, but like let's enjoy what we have right now because it won't be like this forever. Yeah, but, but that's the thing. I mean, it's crazy when I look at just, you know, my little tiny corner in the IndyCar world, but it's like I can, you know, and I know you can do this too, that I could send a, an email to somebody and say, hey, can I talk to so-and-so? And they're like, yeah, what, you know, when's your schedule open or whatever? I mean, you, you can't do that in, every, in any other major series. I mean, if I tried to, you know, I, I, can, I can get an interview with, with – uh, Alex Pillow, you know, because mm-hmm. I, matter of fact, I, I emailed his guy and, and he said, you know, and it's understandable given, you know, the stratosphere that, that Alex is in now. He's like, we don't have time this weekend, but give me, you know, enough advance notice and we'll be able to do it. You know, I mean, can you imagine if I, if I ever sent a, a you know, like when, uh, you know, they come to Coda, hey, I want to talk to Lewis Hamilton. I mean, they would probably they probably wouldn't send me a thing back. They would uh, an email back. They would send me an audio of them laughing hysterically. You know? like, <laughs> <But> yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like it's like I kind of like the yeah I kind of like the accessibility to go up and and somebody knows you, somebody recognizes you, and and it, and it's really cool that way. So. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind if it, if it stayed that, that way, um, you know, for the near future, at least I want, like I said, I want more TV viewers. I want more sponsors. I want more money, but I still want to have it that small town feel that the panic has. 
I agree. I agree. I love that small town feel that we have. It's just one of the coolest places, coolest sports, going to races. It's one of the coolest things you can do just because of that, that connection, that level of accessibility. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's why I, you know, I mean, I'm here to, to, you know, cover the race and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, I'm not getting paid, you know, I mean, but I still, I still love to follow this series around and, and, you know, interview drivers and write stories and, you know, do all that kind of stuff because I can, you know, we can exactly. do that in any car. Um, that wouldn't be possible anyplace else. No, it definitely wouldn't be. It definitely wouldn't be. So I'm kind of thankful for that. <laughs> I am too. Well, um, so you've been to Texas before, you know, but I will reiterate to anybody who's going there for their first time, uh, the restaurant in the infield. Um, they do serve alcohol and great food, so highly recommend. Tacos. I wish it were raining tacos. And, and if you want it to rain tacos, you just go to Torchies and it'll exactly. start raining tacos. It will. Torchies <laughs> is where it's at, man. They've yep. got margaritas. They've got beer. They've got queso. They've got tacos. It's just, mm, it's everything you want Texas to be. Yeah. And and you really can't go wrong. That giant ass TV they have. Um, yes. Oh, it's the best. Oh, the video screen? Yeah. 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 No, I that, love that, that Texas. And you can ben- see the whole track from every seat. Yeah. And, and that's the benefit of having, you know, this facility actually in Texas because when you're in Texas, you have to go big. So, of course, they'd have the world's largest video board. Of course, they would. Of course, they would. And I love <laughs> it. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. Of course what, do they call it? what do they call it? Big Hoss TV or something like that? Yeah. 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 Although I think I think uh, the one at AT and T Stadium where the Cowboys play uh, might be giving them a run for their money. I would I would imagine seeing uh, some sort of battle over the years between the the two facilities as far as who can have Who's the, big, the biggest. Some, someday there's just going to be a there's just going to be a big video screen the length of the backstretch. <laughs> that's that's the point it's going to reach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that. It certainly does. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well. Mike, I think I have taken up enough of your time. It's been lovely chatting with you. Absolutely. Thank you again. And, you know, I'll come on anytime. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll have to chat with you after the race and uh, see see how it was live versus yeah. uh, my impressions at home. So, yeah, I think yeah. we should definitely do that next week. And uh, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you online. Uh, as I mentioned, if you want to see my blog, it's uh, 15 days in May, that blogspot.com. On Twitter, it's at 15 days in May. Um, you can find me at uh, at uh, both places. All right. Make sure to check them out. And as always, you can find everything related to Fast Cars, Fast Girls um, on any of our social media, which you can link to directly from our website, which is www.fastcarsfastgirls.com. So and, and, make sure to check out 15daysinmay.blogspot.com. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you connect with me on Twitter, I'll explain what my uh, Twitter name means. There you go. I won't. I won't give it away now. You got to follow me and, and you know DM me, and then I'll and then I'll explain it. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Make them interact. I'm here for it. Absolutely. I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah. You got to give a little to get a little. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, thank you again so much, and I'm everyone. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the weekend. Yeah. Enjoy the race. Thanks. <laughs>